This is episode 49 with Jennifer Carlson, mother, founder, and CEO of one of the fastest growing baby brands and top organic baby food brands in the world, Baby Gourmet. I had a vision that every baby and every mom needed this food, and I felt a responsibility to do it. And I think mm -hmm. that was what just kept driving me, that as hard as this was, and it was hard work, and I was exhausted, but I remember thinking, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired? Or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all? Or just to become a more confident mom? If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance, and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Hi, Mama. Welcome to another episode of Citrus Love Podcast. Yum berries and plum with ancient grains, vanilla banana berry risotto, apple sweet potato berry swirl, wild berry rhubarb kale and quinoa, and another one, potato, apple, and chicken. These are just a few of the many different types of baby purees. So today we are talking with one amazing mother, and that's Jennifer Carlson. Jennifer is the visionary behind the popular Canadian brand Baby Gourmet, an organic baby food company specializing in nutritious and delicious gourmet baby food for babies and toddlers that she launched with her sister Jill back in 2005. She's a mother of two. She lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. She's so passionate about what she does and how she found this passion of hers making baby purees for every mother in North America. Maybe you're pregnant. Maybe you're a mother with a young baby. Maybe you're even just a grandmother that's babysitting her grandkids, your grandkids, and that includes uh, some babies that are eating baby purees or little snacks. This is an inspiring conversation today about a mother's journey, how she ended up starting this business, which was not at all what she had intended to do. She published a cookbook in 2016, Growing Up Gourmet, 125 Healthy Meals for Everybody and Every Baby. Her company, Baby Gourmet, is one of the fastest growing baby brands and the top organic baby food brands in the world. Can you imagine? And she started, like everyone usually does, in their kitchen doing these baby purees. She doesn't expect parents to be perfect with their nutritional choices. So she's Canada's leading brand of high-quality, organic, healthy meals, snacks, and beverages for babies and toddlers, ingredients from certified organic farms, no fillers, no added sugar, salt, or preservatives of any kind. Every mother can just go into that grocery store, go into that pharmacy. You can get them at Walmart, Provigo, Loblaws, Real Canadian Superstore, Amazon, Toys R Us, London Drugs, and many more. An inspirational speaker to entrepreneurs and busy moms, which she we do talk about in this episode. Not only that, she is big on giving back, a company that is helping feed the most vulnerable populations of babies, toddlers, and children. And to date, Baby Gourmet has given up out over 695,000 meals uh, for different charities in Canada. If you've been listening to our episodes and you do enjoy these conversations, this podcast, go leave a review. It helps get this podcast to more mothers. So leave a review, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. 
leave us how many stars you want and leave a comment. I do appreciate it. So let's get to it and listen to this inspiring conversation with Jennifer Carlson. Welcome, Jennifer, to Citrus Love Podcast. Thank you for being here today. As I was prepping this interview, your story was very interesting I, and found out so many things. So we'll be talking about a few of them today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I want to start just with one random question. Obviously, fresh food, fresh organic food is really important for you. I'm just curious, how big is your garden? You must have a garden. <laughs> you know, that's really funny that you say that. I I grew up having a garden and I loved, I loved that as a child. Mm -hmm. However, I live more inner city and there isn't a room for a garden. And then I, I did start one in a kind of a, a lifted garden. The mm -hmm. problem was traveled so much that I couldn't maintain it. Now I really rely heavily on farmer's markets. <laughs> I, and I tell myself one day when I'm stay put and I'm not traveling that I'm going to have my garden. Yeah. <laughs> so let's dive into your story. I want to start uh, going back to your childhood because you said in a few articles that your mother was your main source of inspiration to what you're doing today. Since your mother seemed to have a big part of it around making food from scratch, can you take us back to that time and what she really taught you that um, really stuck with you? Yeah, you know, I think that we we always do look for forms of inspiration. And, you know, like you said, growing up, I, you know, we had a garden in the backyard. We were actively as kids a part of it and harvesting it. And I wouldn't even know if it's called harvesting as much as it is this Whenever you felt like fresh carrots and peas and pulling out potatoes, you just help yourself to it. But I think the biggest takeaway from my mom was that she, you know, she worked. My dad, you know, he worked as well, but he, he had his own endeavors and, and played a lot of sports. But she was really home looking after three kids, working a full-time job, and she made everything from scratch. So what I learned from her is in that era of cheese whiz and craft dinner and really highly processed, um, nutrient deficient foods, she, you know, was very committed to everything being from scratch. And she made that a part of it. You know, she involved us in that. Mm -hmm. So at a very early age, I learned how to cook and the appreciation for good food and good ingredients. She even made homemade yogurt. Yeah, her oil in our orange juice and think that We didn't notice it floating on the top, but we still had to drink it anyway. Um, yeah, she had to really, you know, put as much nutrition as she could. So she yeah. was really ahead of the time. Yeah. You, you know, that's a really good call. She was ahead of the time. Yeah. You know, this was before fermenting and looking at, you know, lower sugar, lower processed foods. Um, she was ahead of the time. Were you a naturally like entrepreneurial child? I was very entrepreneurial when I was little. And, you know, we, we were, and again, it's this, this time where you didn't have electronics to really distract you from everything in your creativity. Mm -hmm. You were told, amuse yourself. You know, my mom was busy working or cleaning or cooking, and we had to find ways to always entertain ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and there was something about business that I loved, about starting ideas. And I'd come up with these crazy little ideas and try to sell them on the street corner. So I made like like, you know, swatch watches, when those used to be really popular, I made a cream that would prevent it from turning green because the straps always turn green. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it really worked or not. I made homemade like perfume and would sell it in my mom's empty perfume bottles and, you know, sell this homemade perfume. And, you know, I would make paintings and I would go around from house to house trying to sell my paintings. Oh, wow. <laughs> But it was the act of making something and selling it. I really loved that transaction. And That was started when I was really little. And I think, you know, when I was probably 12 or 13, I, you know, wrote my first business plan to open a restaurant in my basement. And then I started this little company called Campsite Cooking and I made cinnamon buns and I had my dad drive me out to campsites and I would sell fresh cinnamon buns on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And you drive around from campsite to campsite selling homemade cinnamon buns because I thought people out in the camping would love fresh cinnamon buns. I don't know. This is yeah, crazy. That, that's a long list of things you did. <laughs> and you know, my dad was a marketing instructor at SATE. And so again, I grew up in that environment where he always challenged me to talk about business and well, if you were to sell it, how would, where would you sell it? What are the, you know, he'd always challenge and question um, what I was doing, which I think made me more interested in it. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And you only realize it looking back and having kids of your own. Yeah. And you know, like I remember going to university and wondering, I don't, where am I going to be? What, what should I do? I honestly mm-hmm. didn't know. I didn't know that being an entrepreneur was a thing. I thought I just had crazy business ideas. I didn't really know what my path was and where I was supposed to go. And I remember even asking my dad when I was 18 or, or 17 going into university, what, what should I take? Like, I just don't know where I should go. And I'm surprised that he didn't tell me you're automatically should be in business. You're very entrepreneurial. He just kind of would say, well, what do you like to do? You know, I tried a whole bunch of things. I honestly didn't know where I was supposed to land until, you know, I had my daughter when I was 29 years old. And that's when I realized that, oh my gosh, I've been entrepreneurial my whole life. This is where I'm meant to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. I just didn't recognize it early enough. So what were you doing before you had your first child? It was funny. I was in an environment that I, in hindsight, it was against everything I believed in. You know, I worked in an an office. I worked in a- Very corporate. Very corporate. I worked in oil and gas and geophysical services. Mm -hmm. It's as boring as it sounds. I'm sure there's a lot of people that get really excited over geophysics. I am not one of them, but somehow ended up in this job. And, you know, math was my least favorite subject. In geophysical sciences, there was a lot of math calculations. I'm just not sure how I landed there, but I did. And I felt really good about the fact that I had overcome a fear of mine and I was doing something that was outside of my box, but it didn't, it didn't interest me. Like I didn't, I didn't wake up every morning and get so excited about seismic data. Mm -hmm. It didn't really jazz me. If during that time you didn't do something that excited you, did you have a side project knowing what you're sharing? You must have had something. Well, you know, and I think that's so critical to say that if you if you're working in a job because you're just trying to, so you're trying to, you pay bills, mm-hmm. right? You get that job, you get paid a good salary. You're doing what you're doing because you're supporting your family. There's a lot of respect that goes into that. But I also do believe that you've got to do something that generates passion somewhere. And on this, and if that is on the side. And I remember telling myself, I wish I knew what it was. I wish I knew what it was. If I knew what it, I remember vividly saying, I wish I knew what it was that I was supposed to be doing. Cause if I knew I'd be doing it 125%, if I had that business idea, there's, you know, I'm waiting for this idea to come to me to start. And once I know what it is, I'm going to do it at 150%. But right now I just I don't know what the idea is. I don't know what that is. Mm. So but you, you weren't trying lots of different things. I, I honestly wasn't. I think I just, I'd worked in some sales jobs and I worked at, at this, in this office job you know, some floated around office jobs, but nothing that was my passion. And it honestly wasn't until I started Baby Gourmet that everything became so crystal clear. I remember early on driving home one day and I was covered in the kitchen that we made baby food in and I was covered in baby food and I'd had the longest day, you know, with my baby in the back seat. And I remember crying on the way home and it was tears of joy that I was living the life I'd always dreamt of. And wow. I, then I, that I, I felt passion and I was living with passion and I, and, you know, although what I was doing was hard work, I just felt so happy that here I am in my car on my way home to my, to my house with my beautiful baby doing this job I love. I just was overwhelmed with joy. So yeah, I remember it was really. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I'm sure a lot of people are, are still looking for that feeling. That's amazing. So, okay. So let's talk about you had your daughter and when she turned six months and of course you started giving her baby food. So what happened then? You know, I I think when you, when you have your first child, every milestone seems so exciting. And the whole part of feeding your baby is one of, for me, it was one of the most exciting things because I love food. So I could only imagine (laughs) giving food to my baby and how much they're going to love it. And I don't, I just think watching them, the whole experience is very emotional and it's really exciting. And so when she is ready for solids, it was, okay, well, what are we going, what are we going to do? And I was so excited to go to the grocery store. And it's funny that I automatically thought grocery store. I want to see what they have and what are people doing? Like what, what's everyone else doing? Uh You know, I go to superstore and I look at this enormous aisle full of jarred baby food. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is what everyone does. This is what's here. So I pick, you know, a couple of things that look somewhat interesting. 
And I didn't really know much about making food. I hadn't even researched it. It was just everyone else was feeding jarred food. So I thought. Mm -hmm. And that was which year? That was in 2005. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it was just really like I tried it and I'm thinking, oh my God, this doesn't really taste like anything. You know, I wouldn't want to eat this myself. How are people feeding this to their babies? Like if you wouldn't eat it yourself. Yeah, I remember those jars. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know. I, I kind of am thinking babies should eat what I would eat. Like if I like it, I'm going to feel a lot better giving it to my baby. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I committed myself to making food for her from scratch. And, and again, I kind of tapped into my roots of, okay, well, I grew up eating homemade food. Why wouldn't I do this for my baby? And I researched everything that I could about feeding your baby, about I learned everything about organic and the importance of organic. This was before organic was really popular. So 2005 and how important organic was for babies. And I wanted to really develop their palate. I didn't want just steamed beans. I wanted, you know, steamed beans with cumin and leeks and maybe a bit of salmon. You know, I wanted interesting blends and combinations and flavors and I don't know. I just wanted my baby to have this great experience with food at a young age. Were you eating like that for yourself? Yeah, like yes and no. I've always had an interest in food and I've eaten healthy food and I read a lot of cook, like I'd read a lot of cookbooks for adults, but never, Mm -hmm. I didn't really put the connection together with what I was eating to what babies. I thought babies had a totally different diet than what we as adults eat. And they do in a sense, but they don't. I think they can eat everything you're eating, just pair it back. Like, you know, take out the salt, especially, or any harsh or strong seasonings. You have to remember babies have really strong taste buds. So everything is is magnified. Mm. So what tastes bland to us actually is quite flavorful to them. So there is some things you have to consider when you are taking your adult food and giving it to them. But I think they can eat the same foods that you're having, just it's how it's prepared. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just wanted to commit myself to making, you know, really interesting foods for her, which is kind of how Baby Gourmet started. Yeah. So you started giving her this food. Did you also eat it for yourself? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. What I found that I was doing was I was making food for me, for our family, and I would make, I would make it baby friendly for her. So let's say if we were having salmon with a a corn saute, I would make the same thing for her. I would just keep out any of the spices and the salt for her. And I would pull it aside and blend it. And that's what she would have. And then I, you know, the rest of me and my husband would have. And how did you experiment with recipes? Because I'm sure your daughter didn't enjoy everything you made and some she preferred. You know what? And I think what I learned the most making baby food, although it sounds like it's, you know, how hard can it be? Take what you're eating and put it in a blender. Yeah. (laughs) Hard because it's all about texture and babies are very sensitive to texture. So if it's too thick, they won't eat it. If it's too runny, they won't eat it. If it's too flavorful, like there's certain, there's little, so, you know, there's so many things to consider, but when I was making it, I would just try different things. Whoever would have thought that I developed a skill on making baby food, being like a baby food maker and understanding what textures work and don't. Pureed meat is the hardest thing to make because it gets really chalky and it sticks to their back of their tongue and they push it back out. Mm-hmm. Like it's, So how do you make it palatable? Will you mix it with just the right amount of sweet potato because it's got a creamy texture with a little bit of broccoli. So there's a touch of texture. So it's just the right amount, you know, and, and it's just how you combine flavors and textures so that baby will like it. Yeah. So, and when I had my daughter, I wasn't working. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And I only had one child. So mm-hmm. I was spending a lot of time like experimenting and it was so fun. Like I found it really enjoyable. Not many people would take joy in that, to be honest. <laughs> Everyone has their own passions. <laughs> Everyone has their own thing. I was really passionate about it. But what I realized at the end of the day, when I came up with really great recipes that, that looked good and tasted good and babies loved, that it took me a long time to get there. Like that wasn't really a first off recipe. It probably took me two weeks to craft this recipe. A lot of ingredients, a lot of dirty dishes. It was a lot of work. And I thought, I bet there's a ton of moms out there that would want to have access to this food, but not make it themselves because it's actually kind of time consuming. And at the end of the day, you know, it's a lot of work and maybe only there's food for the baby and not for everyone else. 
Mm-hmm. There's something to be said about making food from scratch, um, but then there's also something to be said about being able to purchase food that is that tastes just as delicious. And it's funny because before I even knew about you, my oldest son, he's four, four and a half, and I remember I would go to a store. Sometimes you don't feel like you're on the go or you need a baby puree in your bag, like just in case. And I remember looking, I'm like, okay, is there like something really healthy? And I didn't even know, but I was buying baby gourmet. The reason why is, well, they were organic. So I'm like, oh, hey, okay, we'll try that. And, but for me, it was the, um, the mix. Like it wasn't just basic. It was really a meal, risotto or the vegetable. I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. So I would buy those for my son. And you know, yeah. It's funny that you say that because I wanted to make recipes that, that moms wouldn't make themselves. Mm-hmm. So you can make, as a mom, it's pretty easy to do carrots, potatoes, yeah. and or, you know, bananas and avocado. That's Those are easy ones to make. So do that yourself. But I want to give you products or, or combinations you would not make yourself. Like no one's going out and making wild berry, rhubarb, quinoa, and kale. You know, no one's really going to, that's a lot. Yeah, I would always buy the ones with the meat because like you say, putting it in a blender it was, would get chunky and dry so it was easier like that yeah yeah I, I read that when you went to some mom groups and you were feeding your daughter and then other mothers started noticing, oh, wow, what's that? And then eventually they started asking you if you could make them some baby purees. So talk about that. Yeah. So I was a part of this mom's group. I think it was Jimboree. And every week you get together with other moms and they all, you know, have their babies. Everyone's so excited to talk about, you know, what's going on in their baby's life. And we use usually over lunchtime. So I would bring food and be feeding Finley in the group and everyone would comment on the smell or what is Finley eating today? Like it was the conversation of the week. What's Finley? <laughs> and they say Finley eats better than they do, you know, at home. They eat better. What's Finley have today? Oh, she's got Moroccan lamb with couscous. And everyone just couldn't believe that she was eating this amazing food. So they asked if they could pay me to make food for the rest of the group. And, you know, it was really interesting because I found that to be such, number one, an honor that someone would trust me to make food for their baby. But it didn't, it wasn't, I didn't even think of it as a business at that very moment in time. It wasn't about money. It wasn't the biggest factor of why I felt honored to do it was because I truly want to help parents. Like I wanted to help these moms. I thought their babies deserved to eat the same way. And everyone deserves to feel good about what they're feeding their baby. And every baby deserves delicious, wholesome food. Mm-hmm. So I felt this tremendous amount of responsibility. And that's why I agreed to do it. And when I started doing it, that's when I realized how much I enjoyed it and how much it became a, pur- a purpose for me. Like there was a lot of meaning behind what I was doing. Then it went to, I could make a business of this. Like this actually, here I've been thinking for years, if I could find that one idea, I'd do it 150%. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this is it for me. Like I, I knew yeah. that was that moment. So yeah. when did you actually open your store at the farmer's market? Like how old was your daughter by that time? She was six months in about October. I started making the food in November. And by February 1st, we had a booth at the farmer's market. Wow, that's it quick. Fast. It happened very fast. And, you know, I had trademarked Baby Gourmet, the name by January 10th, I think. So everything happened wow. fast. And I had got, I came to my sister with my idea and had always wanted to do something with her. And she's got four children of her own that she cooks very well for. And we started the farmer's market February 1st of 2006. And I found out I was pregnant with my son, I think one week into the farmer's market. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh my God, how could this happen? I've just started my dream career and I'm pregnant. How am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Like I that when I look at the timeline and how quick everything happened, and then and boom, I'm pregnant. And it was a lot of work. Like you would cook on Monday, Tuesday, it would freeze because they were frozen in little ice cube trays, and you'd pop them out on Thursdays. You'd bag everything, drive it to the farmers market, and you'd sell Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, I, and then I did that my whole pregnancy with my son, and I had my baby with me too. And it was only you and your sister running the store. It wasn't. Well, it was a farmer's market. So we just had a little well, stuff. 
Yeah, like a kiosk. Like we laid hardwood floor and we had a big chalkboard sign. It looked really cute, actually. It was a really, you know, we had little freezers and our little little (laughs) sign. Yeah, it was us working every weekend. And Jill's kids were younger, too. I'm trying to think when we might have brought a family friend in to help us once in because we started to get really busy. And we would have my, my mother and some of her friends would come and be, would cook with us. So every Monday, Tuesday, we called it the chop and chat ladies. <laughs> and everyone just was, took so much joy and pride in the fact they were making baby food. I mean, here's a bunch of grandmas in the kitchen, all chopping and peeling vegetables. Oh, they must have loved that. Making baby- Oh, it was hilarious. And I, it was funny because I remember my mom saying, you, you need to take pictures of this and document it for your book. And I thought, oh, I don't have time for that. But now in, in hindsight, I really wish that I had because it was a, a very special time of the story to have all these grandmas peeling and chopping and, and all, they loved it. I mean, who doesn't like feel good about making babies? Yeah. So where were both of your kids when you were at the farmer's market and when you were doing the prep? We had a commercial kitchen that we were renting. At the farmer's market? So it wasn't at the farmer's market. We actually used a community center commercial kitchen. We, we would buy the vegetables on Sunday. And then on Monday, we would bring everything in and everyone would cook at the commercial kitchen on Monday, yeah. Tuesdays. And then I would put freezers in there. So where were the kids? Who oh, <laughs> was taking care of the kids? So it was on the weekends at the farmer's market, their dad would look after the kids. At the very beginning, for my daughter, she came with me, actually. Like, she'd come to work with me. I'd have her in a little a little uh, baby Bjorn or a mm-hmm. chair or a playpen. And then when she got a little bit older, um, and I had my new, my son was born in the November, she went to a day home, and he came to work with me. So he literally was strapped to my body, and he was a 10-pound baby. So <laughs> can you just imagine over, like, a hot stove stirring and with this poor baby right on the front? I... God, it was probably a hazard, but he never, he, he never got injured, thank God. Uh, we'd pass him around. So, you know, if I knew one lady was peeling carrots, I'd set his little play chair up and he would sit there and look at her while she did the carrots. And he would rotate around the kitchen and then he'd have a nap in his little playpen. And then when he got mobile, I, we couldn't do that anymore. So he went to the day home as well. Mm. And then eventually I had to break, to crack and get a, um, I had a live-in help. Yeah. Yeah, of course, to be able to do that. What kept you energized? Because I I can only imagine how much work that must have been. And with little kids and starting a business, you need to be hands-on and everything. And what kept you going? There's so much to be said for doing something that gives you purpose. And also having a vision. Like I had a vision. I had a vision that every baby and every mom needed this food. And I felt... A responsibility to do it. And I think mm-hmm. that was what just kept driving me that as hard as this was, and it was hard work and I was exhausted, but I remember thinking, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I, this is what I need to do. And I, I mm-hmm. felt really good about it. And that was what kept me going. Were you one of the first organic baby foods on the market in Canada at that time, or was it only in Alberta? No. So we were, we, we went to mass market. So that means like retailers across Canada in 2010. Um, So we did the farmer's market for two years. And then I, I knew what my vision was much bigger than the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. I quit the market. I spent the next two years researching, how do you bring a product to mass market? How do you you know, you have a great idea, but what do you do next? So I researched everything I could about food manufacturing. I found that in Alberta, we have a food processing and development center that you can go and you can talk to food scientists and plant operators. And I learned everything about manufacturing and and, uh, scaling up a formula. Like if you have a recipe, how do you scale it to 25,000 pounds? And then what packaging do you put it in? It's going to go in stores. Like we were frozen in little ice cube. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not going to be scalable because now you're taking a mom from a a grocery aisle, which is the baby food aisle, and you're telling her to go to the freezer section to get her food. That's just a very expensive exercise. And it's changing her buying habits, which I didn't want to do. So then it was, how do you get to shelf mm-hmm. without being in a jar? Because 
What I didn't love about the jarred food was because of the thermal dynamics, it sounds kind of crazy, but this around glass jar, in order to pasteurize what's in it so that you don't have to add preservatives to it, there's a long heat time and it kind of overcooks it a bit. It overheats it and it changes the nutritional profile and the texture and the flavor. And I didn't want to be in a jar because of that. Not to mention too, that sometimes glass gets in the jars, but that's when I discovered the pouch. So we're, we were the first in Canada to, to do baby food in a pouch. Claim to fame was that we were the first. Oh, wow. So that was um, the most innovative. And, and there were companies doing organic baby food at that time. So we weren't the first with organic, but we were the first in actually all of North America to do a baby food in a pouch with a little spout, the little cap mm-hmm. on the top. Mm-hmm. And we were very innovative. So we were, we were first to market with something outside of a jar. And retailers really liked that. By the end of 2011, we were in 90% of all major retailers. Like it just kind of grew very quickly. Yeah, you're, you're still in the top companies for and the fastest growing companies for baby food in North America. It's a very impressive. I want to go back to when you decided to close your store in the farmer's market, even though it was very profitable and you could just kept going with that. Uh, you had people say, are you sure? Like doubting if it was maybe too much of a risk. Would you say it was basically because of your vision that you were confident enough to close it and go big? Yeah, that's a really, you know, it's a really good question. And that's a really important question in the story. And I think with many people who have a business or they have an idea and they are just so focused on working in it. There's a big difference between working in your business and working on your business. When you work in your business, I feel like you're on a treadmill. You're just churning every day, every day, and it's hard work and you're churning. And all of a sudden, one day you stop and you think, I've lost track of the big picture. Where do I want to go with this? What are my big goals? What's my vision? Where, how am I going to get there? Mm-hmm. And what you'll see is that the day-to-day and the, the grind of working in your business can take away from really achieving what your big vision is if you allow it because a lot of times it's hard to do both you have to step outside of your business and for me to step out of the day-to-day of of the way we were operating um, was really risky because it's baby food and if I was to not be on site and be overseeing everything that's going on what if something went wrong Mm -hmm. you know and that's all of a sudden you're giving up that control so for me it was it is in everyone's best interest. Like we were producing a lot of baby food at that time. Like it was like $60,000 a month just out of a little booth. A couple <laughs> of so it's a lot of baby food. And if I was to step out, I would feel very nervous that our food needs to be made in a highly controlled um, health and safety inspected facility that has, you know, all the right protocols in place. We're, we've mm-hmm. now reached a point where it's not manageable. And yeah, there was a lot of criticism that how, if you stop selling, people are going to forget about your brand. And I would say to them, um, we're going to come back bigger and better. Just you wait and see. And no one really got it though. Like it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to tell people like, just trust me. They're not going to trust you. They don't know you. They don't, you know, and this is specifically investors. So when I talk to investors about the business, they would say, no, you need to stay at the farmer's market until you can transition over to, grow, to retail. And I said, I can't do both. I need to focus on one or the other and I need to hit more moms and more babies. So mm-hmm. I can't get at the farmer's market and had to make that really important decision to trust your, my instinct, which was we need to go bigger and I can't work in the business while I'm planning to do that. So did you finally find investors that believed in you and were willing to help you out? You know, I, yeah, it was interesting. It's been a really interesting journey for me over the last 15 years. Um, yes, I met many different investors along the way, a lot that really believed in me as an entrepreneur and as an ideator. And, and, you know, the challenging thing is you're new. I'm, I'm a new mom. I had no experience in consumer packaged goods. Um, I hadn't, I had an education in marketing, but I never worked in it. Um, so there was a lot of people that didn't really know what I was capable of. Mm-hmm. So although I brought investment into the business because I had a great idea and I had market research to prove it was a great idea, you know, these investors didn't necessarily know or trust that I was the right person to lead the company. 
wants mm. to amen yeah i get that so, yeah you know i think that that is one of the mo- one of the most difficult challenges that i've had to overcome since starting the business like could you imagine it's your baby and yeah sure we brought money in the company but they they don't see me as having the experience that's required to to lead it to where it needs to go and that was really a really tough pill for me to to swallow So you had investors, but they placed someone that yeah. was more um, experienced, but you were able to create and develop how you wanted, like you still had that freedom. Well, yeah, I still remained with the company in the form of, you know, developing all new innovation and, and being involved in marketing and a spokesperson to the company. But I think there's still something to be said about being the heart and soul of a company. And I think it's too very common for women, especially women business owners, to not have the confidence in themselves to believe that they can, they can be the leader. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. be the CEO of your company. This is your company. No one is going to execute on your vision better than you. And, but I didn't know that. Like That was an insecurity of mine then. I, I'm trusting that these businessmen know more about baby food than I do, which is <laughs> bullcrap. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Nobody let's just say it. <laughs> You know, let's be honest here. It wasn't, um, they didn't, but you know, I'm, I'm in a good place now where, you know, this, this group of investors have recognized that actually Jen is who needs to lead the company. So I have come back in as CEO and, and I'm back running the company and my sister has, my sister never left the company. She's always been a vice president of quality and innovation. So she's always been in the business, but I did step out about six years ago. I stepped out for five years because I just had a very different idea of how the business should be run and didn't work well with work out with who the investor had put in place to replace me. Okay, I read that for you, the quality of the food is still very important. But being that the company is so big now and produces so much, how are you maintaining that high level of quality? Are you on site? Like, what are you doing in the company? You know, that's a really good question. And that's something that Jill and I take a lot of pride in is that we are super hands-on. Number one, we source all of our ingredients. So very few companies, especially ones our size, it's a smaller company, they will rely on the manufacturers to source all the ingredients. We don't. We handpick all of our ingredients. We've got 70 plus suppliers from around the world, um, not China. But, you know, we handpick our ingredient suppliers and my sister checks every spec of every time we order an ingredient, she reviews the quality of assurance records and the specifications of the ingredient before it goes to production to make sure it fits our specs. And we taste every ingredient before we agree to use it. So we're really specific on our ingredients. And that's something we control really tightly. Uh, It's a great job my sister does. And I think that's so critical for us. I I will never say an apple's an apple. It's so not the singles that have, you know, there's ones that are woody and they're kind of gritty and they're sour or, you know, they have all different flavors. We know exactly what kind of texture we want. And so we're tight with our ingredients. We are, you know, we have, Jill and I both have really close relationships with our manufacturers. So yes, we work very closely with them. We're now in a good place where we've run enough that they know how we want our products run. But every Mm -hmm. time we're running a new product, we're there. You know, there's times when I've slept in my car outside the parking lot um, of a production run. of Yeah, four in the morning, they come and knock on the window and they say, okay, you can come in, you can check the product now. You go in. You taste it, you make sure the texture is right, it's where it needs to be, and okay, you can keep going. And then you go wait four hours more until the next one is coming up. Wow. Like we literally did that with every product that we have. We don't do it every time now because they now run it really mm-hmm. well. But we were really, really specific about how things should be. And because I, I want to feel good about what we're Yeah, doing. exactly. And are they produced in Canada? Because you're sourcing from everywhere. We do our fruit and vegetable purees are all in Canada, just outside of Toronto. We do our meals are actually out of Oregon. Um, Our cereal is out of Illinois and that's produced there. And uh, our finger foods are all out of Saskatchewan and our mushies are out of Illinois. Oh, wow. So that's why you're on the road uh, (laughs) quite often. 
How many employees are working at uh, Baby Gourmet? You know, we have a small team. It's 17, 17, 18. I think we've just got someone back on maternity. So I think we're 18 full time now, which is a really lean team. But we outsource. Um, you know, we're, we're bringing in some more consulting roles right now, especially in marketing. Because You know, I made some significant changes. I came back last November and I've made some significant changes since I've been back, which is for me, key is bringing our marketing and our voice and our connection with our customer back in house. So we don't rely on agencies. We also are doing a packaging rebrand coming up. Uh, this year towards the end of the year. So all of our packaging is going to have a new look and feel, which is super exciting for me. I've wanted to do it for a really long time and I think it's overdue. So we're super excited about a rebrand. Uh, our Slammers products in the U.S., that's another brand, our U.S.-based kid snacking line. We did a rebrand on that that's rolling out this year. We, yeah. um, But yeah, we've got a really tight-knit, well-oiled machine. You know, my sister and I feel like we now have our dream team. We made some shifts when I came back in November and we've now got a really great group of people. And I, I just wanted to, to lead a company where I'd want to work. Always treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Like, so I wanted to create an environment that I would want to work in. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think everyone has a lot of fun and everyone does a great job and they really believe, you know, when you go in and you remind people what you're doing is one of the most important jobs in the world. If mm-hmm. you think of you're feeding a baby, does it get any more important than that? And I think everyone feels that and they come to work like that. Yeah. And your head office is in Calgary. Yep. Creating all these products, rebranding, you're clearly an innovator. So what keeps you inspired? innovation that's a really good question um you know i think a big thing is intuition i think i look at what would i would want if i was a mom what would mean something to me what would i like to do um we've got some really cool innovative products coming out next year that are really based on that ethos of what would i want as a mom i can't talk about them yet but hopefully <laughs> them when they're out i am very like i observe a lot so i'll go in and i look at not even what people are doing in the baby aisle i'll look at what are people doing in general what's really popular? What are people into right now? And how can I make it baby friendly? Mm. You know, I always look at go to the grocery, what's really big right now in, in grocery or what's trend or what are people really clinging to? Can I make that for babies? And would moms want that? Mm-hmm. So I just trying to look at it through different lenses and always looking for ways to be innovative, take or take something that, that is really popular and do it better. You know, so if someone is creating like baby mum mums, which are those really, those thin, flat rice wafers yes. made in China, and everyone makes the same ones, it's from this, the same plant, um, that for me has no nutrition and it's got sugar in it. There's just things in there that aren't appealing to me. So how can I make a mum mum more baby gourmet friendly and more nutrient dense? So that inspired Jill and I to create Rusks, which is our new one of our new innovations. It's a lentil chickpea wafer. Mm. Kind of like a mom, not as long or clearly not as flat or process looking, but it's like a little puffy lentil chickpea stick with some flavoring on it. It's all loose in a bag, so there's not extra packaging that baby can just feed themselves. Is that one out yet? Yeah, that's yeah. out. Because I'm pregnant with my third, so <laughs> I'm going to be doing the baby food again. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, congratulations. <laughs> yes, I'm like, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so you did a, cu- a cookbook a few years ago. And what's interesting is you have a section for, of course, baby purees and baby food. And then you have a section for uh, family as well. So you're like incorporating for everyone. Talk about that cookbook because I'm definitely getting that one. Yeah. Um, growing up gourmet was a ton of fun to do for me. That was an evening and weekend project. And I really, you know, I wanted to, that section that you're talking about was really based on if you want to make dinner for your whole family, but you want food for baby too, you don't want to just make food for your baby. You want food mm-hmm. for everyone. It was how do you take a meal and make it baby friendly? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've got a turkey lasagna that you can use to feed the whole family, but baby will have a meal out of it too. So I wanted mm-hmm. to make it kind of, you know, toddlers could eat it, 
baby and parents all in one recipe so that you're really only dirtying one set of pots for one meal. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting is like when we think gourmet, we, we think, oh, fancy must take hours to do. So you say that doesn't have to be complicated and challenging, that we can make a baby food manageable. So do you have a few tips to share with the mothers? It is so easy. You can take basic sweet potatoes, you know, bake or steam, mash it up and make them gourmet by adding a tablespoon of coconut milk and a pinch of cinnamon or cardamom to your puree. Like that makes it gourmet because you've added mm -hmm. a new dimension to it that gives it a different flavor or a different, you know, just a twist. You could take a mashed banana and add drained black beans, avocado and a squeeze of lime and make a really interesting gourmet puree that has, isn't just banana, you know, that has a little tweak of a flavor that's different than what baby's used to. And I think the important thing is introducing a lot of different flavors. I found that the more flavors you introduce them to when they're younger, the more they adapt to eating at the table easier mm -hmm. when they're older, because they're used to a variety of flavors. So your kids must be amazing eaters now. They're almost teenagers. <laughs> teenagers. So it's, they're teenagers and they're completely left to their own devices sometimes. And, you know, on their way home from school, they'll just stop at McDonald's and get some fries or <laughs> I, my after all that, <laughs> all that. But you know, what I, I do, I think the same thing of my mom was I remember having everything from scratch, but I did go through a period where I just wanted to eat processed food because I never had it. Mm. And I did that. But then I was like, no, I really like you kind of go back to what, you know, the root. So I think I'm, my kids will come back. Yeah. My daughter's great. My son is going through. He'd rather have a bag of Doritos, I think. He'll <laughs> come back. Thirteen. So I have to ask, <laughs> since we're mom focused on this podcast, everything you've done, how did a balanced mom work life look to you? How was it for you? Because you said family is really important, but you were also building a big company and needed to put a lot of time there. So how did it work for you to have that family life and have that business as well? Yeah, I, I think that that is a, you know, everyone uses the word balance. I think trying to find it in a semblance of balance is so critical because, you know, I, I'm someone that I personally, I can't live just for my family. I need to feel fulfilled in other ways and me doing my business is being a role model and fulfilling Um, so I think, you know, obviously having a strong support system and a network that you're, you know, either your partner or your family, you, you know, that they understand what that you're doing and they believe in it and they want to help you. Mm -hmm. I think it was very important for me early on was to have conversations with my kids about my job and the importance of what I do and why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And that it's not just about paying bills, that this is, you know, and they understand it. So I can't always give them all the time they need every 24 hours mm -hmm. a day. If I'm at work, it's because I, I need to accomplish these, th these things and they understand it. And I think setting that parameter early on was important. I think taking care of yourself physically and mentally is so critical and carving out that time for yourself every mm -hmm. single day, whether it's first thing in the morning. I like first thing in the morning before my kids are up. What do you I, do? I do yoga. Um, before COVID, I would do spin. I've since ordered a Peloton bike, so I'll try to <laughs> work out my dog for a walk at six in the morning really early. I just need physical activity. For me, that just sets reset and clears my head. I turn my phone off at night. I do not work at, at home at night. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. That's just something I've committed to that my sleep is really important and my time with my kids, putting them to bed is really important. And I, I'd rather get all my work done during the daytime, like mm -hmm. during a lot of times. So I think it's having a routine and a schedule. Find, you know, there's some semblance of balance if I set those boundaries. Mm -hmm. well, that's and I'm pretty good. And I'm not perfect, right? Like I'm I forgive myself. I don't feel guilty if I have to, if I order takeout or if we're having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner sometimes, <laughs> like I'm not going to beat myself up. You know, I, I've committed like right now I'm so busy with work. You know, we'll have a really nice dinner two nights and then I'll say each of my kids has to make dinner one of the other nights and whatever that. it is they want to make, they will, we'll eat it. And it just, I don't get too hard on myself because I think it's really easy for us to, be hard on ourselves and have really high expectations. And 
I think it's, you know, allowing yourself to do the best you can. And mm-hmm. if you can't, you got to just let it go. Yeah, that's great. And that your kids are taking their turns. That's amazing. Yeah, we had a bowl of cereal one night. <laughs> I love those evenings. Well, my kids are like toddlers, preschoolers. So um, yeah, that, they're fine with the bowl of cereal. <laughs> I want to start talk quickly about you giving back because you give a lot for food banks, for back to schools. I saw on your website that you you have a goal to reach 1 million meals donated by 2025. And you're in like at 695,000, I think around there. Um, why is this so important? You know, it's a, it was really interesting how Jill and I came up with this where So Jill responds to all of our customers. If we get inquiries, they go to her. And someone had had emailed in, Jill responded. She was, her daughter had just had heart surgery and she didn't know what to feed her. So she was asking Jill for some advice. So Jill and I talked about it. And we did this, this lady was in Calgary. We decided to make her some baby food and drive it over to her house. This was not a PR stint. There was nothing behind it other than just Jill and I wanting to help this lady and And we brought her some baby food. And it was there that we both, we left there. We both left that meeting saying, God, that felt so good. I'm, I wish we could do this all the time. Like, I think there's people out there that could really use this. And that was where we came up with Heart of Baby Gourmet was after that experience. And, and ever since then, Jill and I, because I think everyone feels that way when they give back. There's just something so rewarding about being in a position that you can do something to help someone that you just wanted to keep doing it. So that's how that came to life. Wow. And you've been doing it for a couple of years now? Yeah, it's so. been seven years, I think it's been. Yeah, and it's helping people that need it and get access to it. So I have a few quick questions. One I call freshly squeezed questions. So it's just like you answer in one sentence, one word or less. I'm usually drinking this every day. You know, I would probably be lying if I didn't say uh, wine, but maybe not every day. But it'd be water. I would maybe say water with lemon every day. What's one of your most popular baby purees? Juicy pear and garden greens. This I'm curious because I want to know what you think. So I rarely warmed up baby purees and I just gave them out of the pouch. Is that how you're supposed to give it? Or like those meals, are you supposed to warm them up? The meals with the spout? Yeah. Everyone does it different. Some people squeeze it into a bowl and some people just warm it in water and then squeeze it directly okay. into baby's mouth. Your yeah. favorite color? Red. I could eat this every day. Avocado. What's no. next on your bucket list? Like we know you spoke about business-wise, but personally, anything you still want to do? Oh my gosh, I have so many things. Japan. I'd like Ooh. to So where can listeners find more about you, the business? Um, give us all the information. You can learn more at babygourmet.com. I would say our, we've also got Facebook, Baby Gourmet, Instagram. Um, me personally on Instagram is J, at JK Carls and Facebook, just Jennifer Carlson. And I have one last question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. So we all know that being a mother, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences, keeping motherhood inspired. What one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? Honestly, my kids. It, it sounds cliche, but my kids, if you are open to it, they will inspire you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening. Two, three, four, five, six stars. Whatever you feel reflect podcast. This will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.